You are listening to KG Mwekezi on SFM. So like I said, at the welcome to the third hour. Like I said at the start of the show, I spent the large part of the last couple of days being fascinated by reading about the life of Ruth First. And for me, one of the things that kept on looping in my head as I was reading all of these things that I didn't know about her was why it is that she is not memorialized more. And we speak about about Ruth First because it was on this day, the 17th of August in 1982, that the academic and anti-apartheid activist, and even that description for me is minimal compared to the things I've read that are so wide that describe the life of Ruth First. It was on this day that she was assassinated by the apartheid regime through a puzzle bomb while she was working at the Eduardo Mondlane University in Maputo. She's played a huge role in the fight against that brutal system and was arrested a couple of times. As a journalist, she exposed a lot of the atrocities committed by farmers, for example, on black labors, something the then regime would never allow to be published. Sadly, too many young people today don't know much about her. Let's listen before we start our interview that we're having with Sean Slovo, daughter of Ruth First and Joe Slovo, and Paolo Jordan, former Minister of arts and culture in the Mbeki cabinet and also an anti-apartheid activist himself. Before we start that interview, I want us to listen to a snippet of how the former justice of the Constitutional Court, Albi Sachs, described Ruth first. To me, the whole life of Ruth is best understood in terms of a term that she used in relation to dealing with the peasantry And she was saying, refuting the whole approach that Aquino had of intellectuals discussing the peasantry as a category, she would say, there isn't such a thing as the peasantry. There are contradictions amongst the peasants. There are male peasants and female peasants. There are peasants close to the water and peasants in dry areas. There are peasants who employ labor and peasants who simply rely on the family. And we must go out there and discover the contradictions and tell the contradictions. Her very, very last presentation was about the contradictions. And at the ceremony we had a couple of days after her death at the Center for African Studies, I found the most honest way I could respond to Ruth was to deal with the contradictions in her own life and how she managed them. The contradiction of a white person in an overwhelmingly black movement. And not, and not only overwhelmingly black in numbers statistically, but the very nature of the struggle was against a form of oppression that was associated with origin, skin color, culture, everything connected with being black. And Ruth's response to that was not to somehow try to diminish the fact that she was white, to almost or figuratively paint herself as not being white, but to use all the advantages that being white gave her in terms of access to education, to travel, to ideas, to feed them into the movement so that the benefits that she got automatically associated with her skin color were benefits now that she shared with everybody. And so that contradiction then became a beneficial contradiction. And she was appreciated for that. 
Similarly, a woman of relatively comfortable means, middle-class background, in a movement dedicated to socialism, the rights of the workers, again, she didn't dress poor. She loved presenting herself in a well-turned-out way. And I would hear people who were poor in the movement appreciating that, that she's not trying to prove I'm with the masses and I wear torn clothing. If the masses had access, they would dress nicely and neatly. She had access, she did that. But again, she used the style, the skills, the things that she got because she was a bit better off to feed into the struggle for everybody, to share with everybody, and resolved that contradiction. And wasn't an awkward person in a people's movement wondering what will they think of me. She was who she was, confidently and publicly, and because her outlook was so passionate, her commitment was so clear, her intelligence was so well-directed, she was appreciated as part of the breadth of that wonderful movement, part of that vision of the way South Africa will be one day for everybody. The third contradiction, a woman in a largely male-dominated movement. She never fully resolved that contradiction. It's very strange. People who knew Ruth would see this compelling, independent, spirited person. She took on men at the level of theory. Theory was the ultimate domain, if you like, of masculine domination, not just the guns. And she took them on at the level of theory, combative. But inside there was something dissatisfied, a sense of inadequacy. It comes out in her letters. It comes out in all sorts of ways. In the book she co-authored on Olive Schreiner, the brilliant South African author who had that same sense, in spite of enormous public acceptance and achievement, something hadn't fully been worked out in her life. That was what I said outside the Centre for African Studies. That uh, fascinating clip, uh, obviously describing so beautifully the contradictions that made for the life of Ruth First, as I said, is from uh, the former justice of the Constitutional Court, uh, Justice Albi Sachs, describing Ruth First. Um, we have as our guest on the line, Sean Slovo, daughter of Ruth First and uh, Joe Slovo, uh, former Minister of Arts and Culture in the Mbeki Cabinet and anti-apartheid activist, um, Paolo Jordan, also joined me. Good morning to the both of you. Um, and maybe let me start with you, Sean, uh, because like I said in my introduction, your mother was amazing. Um, I think in more ways than I as, you know, a relatively well-read South African, even nude or dead uh, to find out. And, and I kept on asking myself as I was reading so much about her that why isn't she memorialized more? Because there's, um, you know, a generation of South Africans to Today, who perhaps may not have known who um, um, Helen Joseph was, and when they go to you know the Helen Joseph Hospital, that curiosity is sort of piqued in them to find out who Helen Joseph was. And I could say uh, the same, for example, about Charlotte McCracken, etc. Do you feel your mom should have been more memorialized by the uh, current uh, South African government? Good morning. Good morning. Yeah. Hi. Um, thanks very much for um, inviting me. It's a great honor 
to be able to talk about my mother uh, on this anniversary. I think it's what, 42 or 41 years um, of her death. Do I think that her legacy has been marginalized or ignored in any way? No, I don't. And I'm talking about, I don't know, um, you know, I'm talking about her worldwide and universal reputation that even as we speak, her early writings um, uh, while she was alive are being republished. Um, the, one, the University of London has an, um, a library dedicated to all her writings. There is constant curiosity and engagement with with Ruth as a woman, as a, as a revolutionary. So that's not really the impression I have. There are many heroes of, of the ANC liberation struggle that we should hear more about. And I think, isn't it more time passes, um, you know, new generations? And um, I think given that, you know, that she is very constant, well, certainly for me, um, you know, uh, uh, returning to South Africa, streets named after her and Joe, of course. And, you know, um, so no, I'm, um, I don't regard her as marginalized um, revolutionary, particularly. I don't know if Palo agrees. Uh, 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 Mr. Jordan, perhaps you we get your take on it. Uh, how do you feel we are doing in terms of memorializing her? And I also wanted to get your reflections on hearing uh, the former justice uh, describe Ruth in the way that he described her. Good, good morning. Oh my, I'm just being told I have to go to a commercial break. I apologize, uh, Mr. Jordan. So when we come back from that uh, commercial break, um, I'll give you an opportunity then to respond to that question. Our focus is Ruth. Hashtag SFM Talking Point. Apologies there again, uh, Mr. Jordan, because we work with a computerized system that forces us to go to ad break when it's time to go to ad break. Good morning. And I wanted your comment on the same question I'd asked Ruth about, I mean, Sean, sorry, about whether or not Ruth is properly memorialized. Um, you know, her memory remains alive in um, South Africa today, in democratic South Africa today. But I also wanted your thoughts or reflections on hearing that description of the former justice of the Constitutional Court, Albi Sex, talk about uh, the contradictions of Ruth First. Good morning. Good morning and good morning to listeners. Uh, no, I think uh, Sean is absolutely correct. Ruth has not been forgotten. Uh, I have had occasion to complain about uh, the fact that she doesn't have a higher profile uh, than she actually has at present. But she has not been, she has not been forgotten or marginalized. Uh, what I think perhaps is missing is that uh, much of her intellectual input and her intellectual contribution uh, is not much discussed in South Africa and not much uh, uh, attention given to it. Uh, I think in the academies, and I think also among South African journalists, uh, the contradictions that uh, Judge Albert Sachs was talking about, I think apply virtually to all uh, revolutionaries, uh, black and white, uh, and perhaps much more so 
to a Jewish white South African woman. Uh, yeah, because of uh, the circumstances that Kagabi uh, Sachs referred to, uh, she could have chosen, like many others, uh, just to live her life as a white South African with privilege and all that, but she chose a different path, uh, driven by conscience, driven by a whole number of considerations, and uh, yeah, she paid the ultimate price for it because of the immense contribution that she made, both intellectually and otherwise, to the liberation movement. Uh, at her funeral, I was not in a position to attend it myself, having been so seriously wounded. But I believe one of the speakers uh, at the time, Secretary General of the South African Communist Party, Moses Mabida, said that this is a blow to our movement and we admit it openly. And uh, it's very true that the blow struck against the liberation movement by the assassination of Ruth First was very, very, very severe. It impacted negatively on our relationship with Mozambique. It impacted negatively on the movement itself. And in terms of the contribution she could and would have made had she not been killed in that day, I think it was a great loss indeed. Yeah. Uh, what were your reflections as you woke up uh, today, uh, Mr. Jordan? Because uh, obviously it's the day, you know, uh, to that August 17 day in 1982. And you were the person who was in the room with her on the day that that puzzle bomb was sent. So what kind of reflections did you have as um, you woke up today, perhaps also reflecting on this conversation that we were about to have about Ruth first? Well, I'm always reminded of that day by the fact that it uh, impacted on me physically. Mm. Uh, Had I been um, a few feet closer to Ruth, I probably would have been killed myself that day. I think I survived because I was sitting down and I was a couple of feet away from her. So, you know, that always, of course, is what reminds me of the incident. Um, when I reflect on the day itself, uh, well, it was one of those close shaves I had in life. Uh, that's the one dimension of it. And then, of course, the other is uh, the great sense of loss. Uh, Ruth, apart from being a colleague in the revolutionary struggle, was also a very good friend of mine. Mm. And uh, we worked uh, closely on a number of projects together. So there's also that sense of loss that I feel on uh, this day particularly. And of course, when uh, we have programs such as this, uh, it does one remind one uh, of uh, that friendship, that association, and then also of the tremendous contribution that she made uh, to our struggle, not only in South Africa, but I think in the continent as a whole, Ruth wrote about Namibia, for example. She wrote about Libya. Mm-hmm. She wrote about coup d'etats on the African continent. Uh, she worked extensively on the issue of uh, the relationship between the historical relationship between Mozambique and South Africa. Uh, so her contribution is far wider than South Africa itself, and I think that should be given recognition. 
Yeah. There's um, a, a level of research I'm assuming uh, you had to do, uh, Sean, <laughs> when you were scripting a film uh, that you did about uh, your mother, Ruth First, the film A World Apart. Was there any piece of information, um, you know, that came to uh, the fore as you were doing your research for the purposes of the script of the film that surprised even you as her daughter? I wouldn't say um, um, surprise, no. I think, um, you know, that one of the reasons that I wrote this film, uh, which is about the relationship between um, Ruth, a fictional, a fictionalized Ruth, and and me and my two sisters growing up in South Africa in, um, the, in the 1950s, early 1960s, one of the... Um, I think like um, I'm the eldest and, you know, like many mother daughters, we had um, a really volatile relationship for all kinds of reasons, you know, distance and uh, the trauma of exile, et cetera, et cetera. And I think, um, you know, when she was killed so prematurely at the age of 56, um, you know, I mean, I'm, almost 20 years older than her now. She was taken in the prime of her life. I began to write, I am a screenwriter, and I wrote um, the film that became A World Apart as a way of continuing a dialogue with my mother that um, I could no longer have in life, Mm. as a way of reconciling, um, you know, what happened, our relationships, the choices, coming to terms with the choices that she made. And so I think that was the main impetus of, of the film, if that answers the question. Yeah. We're in conversation with Sean Slovo, daughter of Ruth First and Joe Slovo, and uh, Paolo Jordan, former Minister of Arts and Culture in the Mbeki Cabinet and anti-apartheid activist. And uh, we will continue our conversation in a short while. Nomalizo Mandela is standing by with the news headlines. Conversations that you connect with and react to. SAFM. 11.32, our focus on uh, Ruth First as we commemorate uh, to the day, uh, the day that she was assassinated by the apartheid regime through a puzzle bomb while working at the Eduardo Mondlane University in Maputo. These reflections with Sean Slova, daughter of Ruth First and Joe Slova and uh, Paolo Jordan, former Minister, Minister of Arts and Culture in the Mbeki Cabinet and uh, anti-apartheid activist himself. There's a line, uh, Sean, that uh, came from uh, the former Justice of the Constitution Court in that uh, clip that we played earlier that I, I found so profound and I tied up to uh, the reflections I got when I was reading about your mum. And that line was, you know, uh, he, he said, and I quote, he said something to the effect of, uh, Ruth was a woman in a largely male organization who took on men on the level of theory. And in uh, a close quote, and in the reflections uh, that I got when I was reading, your mom came came across to me like a a a fem- um, I, I think we lost the connection, uh, but it's fine. I think the the same question I can direct uh, to Paolo Jordan as we keep trying to uh, get uh, Sean Slova back on the line. Um, we we lost uh, on that line, so I'll direct the question to you, um, uh, Mr. Jordan. Uh, regards, I repeat the the point made by um, uh, Justice Albi Sachs that uh, Ruth was a woman in a largely male organization, but took on the 
the men on the level of theory. And I, when I was reading I f- up about her, first I found her brazen, but I think like you rightfully said, there's a degree of brazenness that you needed to have as an individual to be able to stand up to the, you know, repressive system that apartheid was. I found her a feminist. Was I wrong? No, you weren't wrong. Uh, Ruth herself, when uh, speaking about her feminism, uh, used to say she was a late bloomer uh, with respect to feminism. Mm-hmm. And I think it was her work on uh, um, Olive Schreiner that assisted her in uh, you know, coming to feminism. Uh, I suppose uh, there was, to a certain extent, um, a sort of negative attitude towards feminism uh, as a result of uh, what had happened here in this country. You, well, you don't know it, but historically, here in South Africa, as elsewhere, women did not have the vote until sometime in the 1920s or 30s. Uh, in our case, it was the late 1920s at the hands of the uh, Nationalist Party, uh, Labour Party, packed government, but they only gave the vote to white women. Mm. Uh, so that, uh, I think, uh, was always attached to the notion of feminism in South Africa. Uh, there was also, I think, um, perhaps ignorance on many of the issues uh, that were taken up by the second wave of feminism uh, in the post-war period. Ruth, I think, uh, embraced that second wave of feminism, not that first wave, which has resulted in the enfranchisement of white women only. Yeah. And then, you know, I, I, I also thought it important to uh, ask the question about whether or not that feminine, had she lived, whether or not uh, that feminism would have stood her in, in, in good stead today, because in many ways, the issues that she was so brazen and challenging within the organization remain. I mean, you know, there, there's a part where I read that she she's a person who uh, sometimes earned, uh, you know, some enemy as a result of her sharp criticism and her impatience with, with Blaster. And she was uh, ultimately, though, as much as she was criticized by some of her comrades, she would be feared for her ability to hold her own as a woman in a political debate. No, no, of course. Uh, we have to, I think, appreciate that uh, political movements uh, uh, are the product of the societies in which uh, they emerge. Mm. Uh, South Africa is a very patriarchal society, and uh, you know the movements in South Africa themselves reflected that patriarchy uh, in their practice and uh, you know just in their being. Uh, so, if you were a woman, uh, you were already sort of disadvantaged by the fact that you are not the man, mm-hmm. and then of course uh, the, in leadership structures. Again, that patriarchy is reflected that it's dominated by men again. So you'll be a minority if you're a woman there as well. All those sorts of things. But I think uh, the movement has tried to address many of those. We have not gone as far as we need to go on uh, the issues that uh, impact on women and the issue of gender and gender relations in the society. But I think the movement has tried to address many of those 
for instance, issue of parity, uh, which has come up, for example, with respect to executive organs of the African National Congress. Uh, at the recent uh, Veterans uh, Conference that was held, uh, you note uh, that there is far greater parity in that Veterans Organization than there is in the executive of the ANC itself. So those issues are being addressed in various ways. Uh, the fundamental issue, of course, is the one of uh, gender, which we have to begin to understand <clears throat> is not something that is written into our genes or is something natural. Mm. Gender is a social construct which arises out of particular social relations. And when we change those social relations, I think we will change a whole number of issues relating to gender, including the alarming and uh, disgraceful spread of gender-based violence in our society. Yeah. So we've got Sean Sloverbeck uh, on the line. Sean, I wanted to talk again about these contradictions. I was just talking uh, with uh, Mr. Jordan about uh, your, your mom's feminism and, you know, how that uh, sort of came to life in uh, the organizations she was in. But I wanted to continue with uh, a bit of the issue of the contradictions between her politics, which is her ethos, the things that ultimately she stood for as a person and, and the role that she would have as a mom. And, and, you know, uh, the, the, the strains or the contradictions that would result as a result of those two, uh, because those contradictions and, and those strains are revealed in the later works of, uh, you know, your sister, for example, your book, you spoke a bit about the movie. How have you as sisters managed to reconcile those contradictions uh, with yourselves about your mom regards her politics um, and the role that she had to obviously played to you guys as mom? Well, you know, she was tasked with a major amount of um, of child raising. You know, uh, Joe, as soon as he um, left the country, was unable to return it around about the time of the Ravonia uh, chose to dedicate um, his life paramountly to the discussion. So he was all over the world. Ruth was the main breadwinner. Um, she worked in publishing. She worked. At, she was a sociologist, um, lecturer at Durham University. She was the one really responsible for holding the fort in a way that Joe didn't have to take on these responsibilities. And I think that must have impacted on her hugely, you know, juggling three teenage uh, girls coming up to becoming teenagers, mm. you know, in London in the 1960s. I think, um, you know, it's something she was juggling mm. and uh, had enormous strength, but nobody has that much strength. And I think, you know, that impacted on me, Gillian and Robin, my two sisters, in different kinds of ways. But, you know, ultimately, what she left us with um, you know, she was the hardest working person I have ever known wow. or ever met. You know, the sound of her typewriter through the night was the soundtrack to our lives. And uh, growing up, she bequeathed to us a love of cinema, reading, writing, and through example, taught us the importance of, 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 of engaging with the world and speaking out about injustice and standing up for what you believe. 
But I also have to say, they were no martyrs to the cause, mm. so to speak. Mm. They were living the life. They were engaged and absorbed by the fight against apartheid, by the choices that they made in a way that few few people have the opportunity to, to be on this planet in this in their in in our lives. So you know, she was generous, compassionate. She was really glamorous, and. Um, you know, the last um, years of her life were spent at the University of Maputo in the newly independent Mozambique. And I think this was a, a high point for her where she was part of a team, you know, on the ground, built, helping to build a post. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no, that line does not like me um, at all. But, I, you know, I thought that what uh, Sean was saying was so important. So as we try to establish that line, um, I, I will jump back to Mr. Jordan and talk about, um, uh, I think it's a memorial lecture um, that you gave on um, um, while we established the, the is Sean back? Oh, I'm not sure. Uh, but, you know, wh while we try and establish that line back, I want to talk about the memorial lecture, uh, Mr. Jordan, um, that you gave, if uh, my memory is serving me correctly, and how um, you talked about how, you know, the people that were responsible <clears throat> Uh, for her death, uh, never you felt fully accounted for the role that they played. And I was hoping you'd elaborate on that and, and talk to me about, you know, your engagements that you have with your comrades in the interest of uh, preserving Ruth's legacy, um, you know, about what it is that you would like for uh, the government to do in terms of a proper acknowledgement of the old government about its role in the demise of Ruth first. Can I jump in here? Yes, you yes, me? you're back. Yes, you're back. You Thank know, you. <laughs> one of the things and why this anniversary is so painful year after year after year, the 17th of August, why, you know, what churns me personally up mm -hmm. that, um, that she was the TRC granted amnesty to her murderers. Mm. You know, the rotund Craig Williamson and his henchman, Jerry Raven, etc. And that there has never been any accountability. And I think that is what is lacking and what is missing and what is so badly needed in order to affect the aims of the Truth and Reconciliation Committee. Yeah. You know, that, um, that her murderers are still scot-free and living the life according to you know, to their um, desires, Yeah, you know, rich and, 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 you know, that is the most painful, that there was an opportunity to bring these people um, to boot and that opportunity has now been lost. Yeah. And let's talk, Mr. Jordan, to that lost opportunity, because you've said there's no doubt in your mind that she was specifically targeted uh, with the letter bomb that took her life. Um, and, and you, you know, you're not suffering fools in terms of being clear uh, that, you know, uh, Craig Williamson and, and co are responsible for her death. Yes, they are. The unfortunate thing about it is that uh, we, as a government and as a country, took the decision that we were going to have a Truth and Reconciliation Commission. We should look at those past crimes, and uh, it had certain terms of reference, 
uh, and I think uh, the PRC you know, did what it was asked to do. Mm. Now, at the end of the day, I myself am very, very, very unhappy about the fact that uh, Craig Williams and others were, were given you know, a free pass, an amnesty, so to speak, and have never accounted for their actions. Mm. There are many others who I think were also given that sort of free pass as well. Uh, that is most, most, most regrettable. But it was a process that agreed upon. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> if you're a law governed society, you have to abide by even unpleasant and unfortunate decisions that are arrived at through that process of law. Yeah. As we round off our discussion, um, you know, they say the average South African today, Sean, is about 27 years old. Um, So, you know, there's people who perhaps are learning about your mom uh, by just even listening to this interview that uh, you and I um, are having today. What would you want that average South African to know about Ruth first as we round off our discussion? Well, I would say, I was saying, you know, that uh, when we got the call about the murder, um, you know, it was expected to be, it was call I was expecting Mount Joe. But Ruth was a journalist, a writer and and an academic. And of course, it makes sense that she was a target because by fearlessly uh, exposing the iniquities of the apartheid state throughout her life, she gave truth to the old adage that the pen is mightier than the sword. Mm. Um, If that answers the question. Fantastic answer. Um, uh, Mr. Jordan, what would you want the average 27-year-old South African to know about Ruth First? I would like uh, the average South African to have a more comprehensive knowledge about her biography because I think her biography in itself is quite amazing. I would like the average South African, especially the generation of 27-year-olds and others, also to recognize uh, the tremendous sacrifices people had to make in Mm. order to arrive at where we are today. Uh, This freedom didn't come cheap. Uh, It was purchased with sweat and blood. And people have to understand that and appreciate the fact that uh, there are actually people who sweated and bled for it and died for it. Uh, so it's not something to be taken lightly, not something to be played around with. Uh, that's what I'd like people to remember about mm. it first. And thank you so much to the both of you. That's our bit um, of commemorating uh, the passing of Ruth First, August 17, 1982. Thank you, Sean Slovo. Um, I was hoping we'd get through more, but uh, time. Uh, Sean Slovo, if you didn't know, is the daughter of Ruth First and Joe Slovo. Thank you, uh, Mr. Paolo Jordan, former Minister of Arts and Culture in the Mbeki Cabinet and also anti-apartheid activist. Learn about Ruth First. As you heard Mr. Jordan say at the end of our interview, this freedom did not come cheap. Thank you to Lebu Musou and Kanya Bonani for steering the ship and keep it SAFM. It's time for the book reading. It's Lessons from the Book of a Car for Entrepreneurship and for Life. It's written by Reg Lascaris. It's being narrated by Robert Whitehead.